You are about to experience The Pint, a freewheeling discussion of craft beer, craft spirits, and the law. The Pint is brought to you by the attorneys of Moy White, a full-service law firm located in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit moywhite.com. And now, let's have a pint. Hello and uh, welcome back uh, again to our uh, f- uh, second of our post-COVID podcasts here at the Moy White Brewing and Distilling Podcast. Uh, I'm here with uh, making history with our first repeat guest, uh, <laughs> Peyton Mason from Law's Whiskey. For those of you who uh, enjoyed our discussion of kind of the uh, uh, distillery space, Law's in particular, and uh, some of the COVID impacts, I invited Peyton to come back and talk about a topic that's a little different. Uh, because uh, in addition to all he does with laws, Peyton is also a uh, esteemed professor. I think is the correct term for it. Is that is that right, Peyton? I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, Peyton has been teaching a class at uh, Regis University here in Denver, um, and I guess Peyton, uh, why don't we get started by you maybe sharing a little bit about what the class is and maybe how you got involved in teaching? Absolutely. So uh, it's at yeah Regis University, as you said, um, which is located kind of north Denver. It's a uh, certificate of brewing science. Uh, I like to toss in distilling there because that's my specialty, but uh, a lot of it focuses on the beer. It's a uh, four eight week session class. Uh, pretty cool little program they have going on there. Great way if you don't want to necessarily pursue a full four year degree, but you still want to kind of really learn the the nuts and bolts and the science of brewing. Um, we've got some amazing teachers that do the other pieces of it. I do one of the sections myself and uh, um, Dave Duffy from Stemsiders, which is also here in, in Denver, teach the business side of it. And then um, we have three other professors who teach the, um, you know, kind of the basics, biology of brewing and distilling, and then a hot side and a cold side. So it's a great way to get kind of a well-rounded, um, all the fundamentals of brewing and distilling down without kind of having to commit four years or the economic commitment of, of four years as well. So we, uh, we'll, we'll probably be focusing more on the stuff you're teaching, kind of the business and uh, yeah, yeah. side of it. But, you don't um, want me talking biology. Right? But uh, no, that's, that's neat to know that, I mean, they really get deep on the actual biology and the process. And I mean, you know, uh, brewing and distilling in many ways is kind of like a home chemistry set that's uh, blown up to a larger, larger capacity. Yeah, There's real, real science behind that. I think a lot of uh, distillers, and, you know, speaking from personal experience and a couple of, of the folks that work here at Laws, um, a lot of folks get their their start in the brewing industry, right? We in distilling, we like to say we like we make beer better. <laughs> we, take, we take beer and then we make it better by concentrating the alcohol. Well, and we're right in the middle of that here in Denver. I mean, it's one of the yeah. uh, it's one of the craft brewing and craft distilling hubs from around the country. I mean, you have a, a lot of great stuff. I I whenever I travel, I, I make a point of trying to drink whatever's local and. Um, uh, more often than not, it makes me wish to be back in uh, Colorado with some of the choices I have here. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's just the familiarity, but, uh, you know, we are, uh, for those of you who drink a lot of craft beer in Colorado, uh, if you don't realize it, you are tremendously spoiled. Um, so, place. so Peyton, what, uh, I mean, what's the typical profile of a student you might see in one of these classes? I mean, are they, you know, prototypical college student? Are they people going kind of going back to school, folks who've had a career, they're really thinking about getting into brewing and distilling, what do you typically see? Yeah, it's um, it's, it's really a pretty polarized group of people. You either have uh, relatively young folks, um, 
on, you know, maybe just graduated or still pursuing their bio. And this, this class is taught within the biology department, so relatively young folks that are still in school or maybe just out of school looking at it, or you have some folks that are looking for a career change. Um, so, you know, been in the, some other industry for 20, maybe 30 years and uh, did well enough to look at starting over. And so we get a, we get a lot of uh, engineers, we get a few scientists kind of, loosely termed scientists, more kind of the biology and chemistry aspects of things. Uh, we've got a lot of people who come from environmentally oriented careers, maybe focusing on water because they have a, a big appreciation of uh, the importance of water in the process. Um, and then you, again, you have your students who are just kind of looking at starting out and think that this is something they may want to you know, dedicate their professional lives to. So it's a, it makes for a really cool dynamic in class because you've got very experienced people who may have amazing skill sets and a ton of to bring, but in a slightly unrelated field. And then you have people that are incredibly passionate um, on the young end and bringing their energy to classes is, is, you know, it makes for a really cool experience for everybody. So uh, Peyton, what I thought we'd do, and I know we chat about this before, was maybe go through a couple of the things that uh, folks who come to the class uh, maybe don't don't know they don't know. The, the challenges you've seen of people who come into this saying, hey, I really think I want to get into brewing, I want to get distilling, I want to start my own brewery, my own distillery. Um, you know, and some of the challenges that they face and some of the things that maybe folks going into this haven't thought about that really kind of rear, rear their ugly heads yeah. at some point down the road. Before we get into those, though, we should probably talk about our... Uh, our, our sponsoring yeah, whiskey for this particular one. Yeah. What uh, when he introduces to our whiskey sponsor yeah. for this event? Shameless uh, plug number two. Uh, our our laws four grain straight bonded bourbon. Um, this is a, a product we just launched here in October of last year. Six years old. It's our four grain uh, bourbon, similar to the batch, but just aged a few extra years here. Um, for those of you not familiar with the Bottled and Bond Act, I would certainly encourage you to look it up. Uh, reach out to us here at Laws if you want some more information on that, or you can check out the webpage. But a uh, really cool uh, set of stringent standards, highest standards or most restrictive standards in American whiskey. And so um, that's what we're sipping on here right now. Six years, huh? Six years, yeah. It's a, you know, clearly biased here, but pretty impressive feat for a, a small distillery such as ourselves. Um, really shows the kind of the commitment to quality and aging a, a good product here. We're, we've only been around, our first sales were in August of 14 and the first barrels were laid down in July of 2011. So this is truly some of the oldest whiskey in the distillery and we're going to kind of continue to push push the boundaries of age here for, you know, within Colorado and, and, and broader kind of bourbon communities. Well, that's great. That's about as, uh, as, as good of a sponsorship as I can imagine. So yes. uh, <laughs> be useful and put it that way. So as we uh, as we sip through our whiskey here, I guess let, let's talk about kind of the, the top challenges that you've seen, the things that, you know, having taught this class, seeing those various people coming from different uh, different directions to get there. What what are the kind of things that maybe they haven't really thought about or really appreciate about, you know, hey, I, I, I make great beer. I want to start a brewery. How, how, how does that work? What are the challenges that you've seen? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of them, and I can speak to these kind of from a personal standpoint, too, is because I spent my previous career in more of a, a corporate setting, working for much larger companies um, and evaluating other other similarly large companies as part of that. But moving, making the change to from a company that employed you know tens of thousands, I think 20,000, 30,000 people in my last job, now down to when we started up, I believe we were around 15 people, right? So it's yeah. slightly... Um, smaller, smaller outfit. Yeah, a little different. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the biggest thing, first and foremost, is everybody comes into the industry with passion, 
right? Is, and if you are approaching um, a business model or any new business, really, for that reason, you're coming into it because you care about what you want to do, right? And if you're going to open up a brewery, you care about making beer, and you want to make really good beer. If you want to open a distillery, you care about making some sort of spirit, and you're passionate about that process and the quality and all the ingredients and every little step along the way. Uh, the biggest thing I think that students who come into the course uh, who start off saying, I want to open up a brewery, is that running a business is not necessarily doing the operations of that business. Uh, and said more frankly, you're not necessarily going to be the brewing beer. The majority of time of running a small business, I think, is spent on other things other than brewing beer. So, so let's, that's limited to brewing, right? That's yeah. limited, or that's the kind of across all spectrums. So if you want to be a baker, you're not going to be baking. You're going to be running the business. So it's accounting, you know, making sure you record and transact all the sales for the day. Uh, you're going to be doing some sales. You're going to be going out and talking to, you know, if you're going to be in brewing and selling, maybe it's talking to liquor stores, or it's sitting behind a bar, talking to patrons, selling them on whatever your new product is. It's dealing with employees. I think that's probably one of the most underappreciated or under-expected uh, aspects. Of so let's let's talk about the employees for a minute, because employees yeah. are obviously uh, wonderful and challenging. While at the same time, I think in almost every business and, and every along the way, I mean, if you're going to try to open a brewery, I mean, you know, how many employees are you going to be dealing with just to kind of get started? Uh, yeah, I mean, it can vary quite a bit, right? So you, on the small side, you've probably got two or three people at least helping you in the tap room. Um, the nature of the business, and it's very typical of the business, is part-time positions, right? You're not, you're not salarying a field of, or, you know, 10 employees right out of the gate. Most people aren't, at least. If you have that benefit, or if you have the ability to do that, that's, I think, a very large benefit to you. But, you know, part-time people is normally someone else who has a job or another focus in life. And so dealing with their schedule, and then while still trying to get out of their employment, what you need for your business, which is first and foremost in your mind, is uh, can be certainly challenging sometimes. Um, all sorts of issues other than just the scheduling. You know, that's probably the easiest part, to be frank. But like personality conflicts and dealing with somebody likes to do things this way and somebody else likes to do it that way, and maximizing the skill sets of each of those individual people to in a way that fulfills what their desires are and fulfills the needs of the company is always a challenge. So how, uh, I mean, what have you seen for people, again, they have the passion, they want to do it. I mean, what, what are the kind of roles that maybe they, it seems to me they have a harder time grasping. Like you, you mentioned, hey, you need you need somebody who's really kind of a customer facing behind the bar, that kind of interaction. You might need a sales and marketing. I mean, what are the what are the functions that people maybe don't see and appreciate right out of the gate when they're thinking about, a, you know, opening up a brewery or a distillery? Yeah, the sales piece is one of it, right? So uh, anybody in the industry, again, is, is clearly passionate about being here. Um, pouring beer out of a tap, you can do that a couple times, you're going to figure it out, right? There's yeah. certain beers that take a little more skill than others, for sure. But um, you have to be able to you know, perform those functions. But as with any entrepreneur, you have to wear 10 other different hats. So you've got to be able to, or you have to find someone who wants to be able to not only just pour beer, but talk to people. Um who wants to be able to clean up and work hard because there's nothing about brewing that's easy. Uh, you're, or distilling for that matter. There's a lot of janitorial work, for lack of a better term. You're cleaning a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So you've got to find someone who wants to get their hands dirty. It's not just sitting up there in the front pouring beer and talking about it. Um, you've got to do kind of a wide spectrum of things. You're going to have to find people that can do accounting 
as a small business owner, that's one of the most important things I think you can do is have a handle on your books and your finances. Because if you don't have a handle on that, it doesn't matter how good the product is or the business model or the opportunity. Uh, if you mismanage the money that you put into the business, then you know it's not going to work out. So you've got to be able to find people that can do that. Um, and then you have to find that same little subset of people has to be able to interact with everybody else on, on your team. And so it's, uh, you know, it's difficult. Entrepreneur, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, I feel like. I think the the word sounds really cool and sexy, and it's, it's got a, like kind of a, a horror about it. But when you get down to it, it just means that you have to do a lot of different things, and you've got to be able to kind of maximize um, your efforts where they need to be. So uh, coming in and saying, "Hey, I love brewing beer is great," but you know that that's not going to be enough to get you, should, you there. You should go be a brewer, not a brewery owner. <laughs> yeah, one way to put that. Uh, there are two two different things, I think, in my mind. Not to crush anybody's hopes and dreams, but yeah. I think that um, you know it's a unique skill set to be able to do both of those things, and uh, it's it can be challenging at times. You gotta, I think, you talk to anybody who owns a brewery and has been successful in the field, and they would be. 100% candid with you and tell you it's, it's hard to do both things very, very well. So what uh, what are the what are the other uh, type of challenges you see that, you know, these passionate students come in, they're ready to go, but it's something they really haven't thought about? Yeah, so maybe going going back to our kind of our demographic of the class, you have the you have people who maybe have a little bit more experience and, um, you know, older and throughout their career progression, they've accumulated a little bit of money and they want to reinvest that into a brewery and kind of restart their career. Um and then on the other side, you've got the younger folks who are coming out of college, and as everybody who's done that knows, you're looking you're yeah, eating a lot of ramen. Your balance sheet's a little yeah. light at that point in your life, normally. Exactly. Uh, eating a lot of ramen and starting a brewery don't necessarily coincide. <laughs> um, you don't want to go into this business, I think, being undercapitalized. Uh, it's, it's a tough business to begin with, and so... You may have the best brewery plan and make the best beer, but not having enough money to have the facility you want or the equipment you want and be able to plan for growth or a economic downturn or maybe, you know, something weird like a pandemic. All of those things could ruin. Hey, the, the, the good news is we all know that there could never be a pandemic. No, yeah. I mean, of all the things that could happen that way, I mean, come on. That's just, uh, you're just making that up. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you got to be able to plan for those things. Um, opening up breweries and distilleries, I can speak from personal experience, there's always something that comes up. And so if you think you're going to buy a building and retrofit it and be open and selling beer in a couple months, like that's just really not necessarily realistic. In my, in my, at least in my experience. Everybody's experience is different. But there's so always something. Permitting that comes up, construction delays, um, you know, while you're doing something, you may find asbestos or something like that. It'd be a terrible example, but these things always come up and there's, there's always something and it's going to cost money. And so trying to be cheap and buy the smallest brewing system and buy everything the cheapest and only planning for exactly what you think is going to happen is, is not going to pay out well for you in the end. Um, and if it does, great. That, that's amazing. But I think most people would tell you that uh, it's, most people aren't that fortunate, put it that way. You know, the construction piece is something, and it's not just brewing and distilling. I think it's something in a lot of entrepreneurs that have a customer-facing business, whether it's in food or franchise or something like that. You know, there's always a there's always a build-out. You know, even if you're leasing, there's an improvement phase. And, um, yeah, you know, the real estate piece is a huge portion of, of kind of opening, you know, especially a brewery and distillery, but any small business, as you said. So you have to have that contingency planning for something that's going to come up. Because it always comes it up. Always I, don't, I don't think there's ever been a construction project that came in uh, on, on time and on yeah. budget yeah. In, in the history of the world. There's no. always something. 
I'd bet money on it for sure. But yeah, you need to build that contingency plan in there. And so, you know, if you think you need X number of dollars to to open up a brewery based on you know whatever math or spreadsheet you're doing and finding equipment, I'd, I'd budget X plus twenty fifty. Whatever, maybe two x. Yeah, two x. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd be conservative again. I'm an accountant by trade, so yes. there's a little bit of that built into my blood and my DNA. But uh, I think too many good breweries, I think, open or distilleries open and don't have enough cushion in their budget or their operating model, and then something comes along and, and sets them back. And it may not put you out of business, but it sets you back. And if you're investing your savings or your time and you're building this for the long term, you want to set yourself up for success. So there's no point in trying to to do it on the you know the super cheap and not leaving yourself any kind of flexibility. Well, and you lose that uh, momentum. I mean, you know, part of the it's a crowded field. I mean, especially yeah. in Colorado with breweries and distilleries. That, you Absolutely. know, before the uh, pandemic and obviously the conversation may change. You know, there there was kind of an annual discussion of how many more breweries can there be, and you know, everyone had their pet theory. And so far, I don't think we'd reached that that tipping point. No. But you know, at the same time. You really do have to hit the ground running. I mean, when you get that delay and you're supposed to open in the fall and now all of a sudden we're opening in the winter, it's a different, you know, you, you're you're getting your business off on a different foot. Absolutely. Um, and that has impact down the road. And, you know, it, it may not impact you today, but you may be sacrificing the long term, as you said. Like, if you if you open up and you're successful and you've mastered your, uh, you know, your near-term challenges and sales are going well, uh, you don't want to limit your upside, right? You're in this to grow it in theory. Um, you want to be successful. You're opening this, and so you don't want to start on a you know, one barrel system because that's all your two barrel system because that's all your budget allows, and then end up doing pretty well. And now your space is confined to a one barrel system because that's all you can afford at the time, and, and you can't grow it all. So there was a uh, I, I won't name names, but there was a very new brewery that uh, I met to the owner several years ago at an event, and uh, you know they had, they had literally just opened the doors, and they were actually contract brewing out of another place, and they entered you know, one of their beers in the Great American Beer Fest, uh, and they won. And it created a whole other set of problems, which is they literally didn't have the capacity to brew enough of the winning beer to capitalize on that. And, you know, it took them several years to to get through it. So, I mean, you know, there are two sides to that coin. It's like, hey, are you building for the future? But, you know, if, if you don't have at least some slack in the line, some give in your plan, you know, uh, Almost the worst thing in the world is, hey, we just hit it big and we can't capitalize yeah. because we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have a yeah, plan. We're not ready. To do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's it's a perfect example of this. And there's no right answer as to like, you know, what size should you start with or what size should you invest in out of the gate because you know you don't want to overdo it. I wouldn't right. go out and purchase a 50 barrel system. Obviously, that's an extreme example, but um, yeah, it's, it's a complicated. So all you have to do is. Uh, uh, correctly gauge the market and get exactly the right answer yeah, ahead of time. You right? come it's and take easy. the course, and you're guaranteed yeah. to be successful, and yeah. you'll sell your brewery to Budweiser. Yeah. In yeah. time. you've heard you've heard it here yeah. from Peyton Mason. Yeah. The, the, the guarantee. <laughs> buy the textbook. You read it. It's yeah. Real. There you go. So what uh, what other challenges have you bumped into that you've really seen people struggle with or, or come in and really not have a full understanding? of? Yeah. So I think people come in a lot of times. Um, this may be. You know, one of the, the two demographics we have, you guys can guess on which one, but spreading yourself too thin. People come in with really, really lofty goals. Uh, I think when craft beer was starting, everybody can argue over how long ago that was, 10, 15 years, really kind of kicked off, and, and the momentum and the wave kind of started off. Everybody was in this, oh, the brewery's going to grow, and it's going to 
make a bunch of money and we're going to sell it to somebody and we're going to retire early. I think that those days are, the heydays are kind of past us and things are very much, you know, it's far more competitive today. And so it's much more like a, you know, mature business model where people are coming in and they're facing competition immediately and they have to find ways to differentiate themselves. And so coming in thinking you're going to be a distribution focused brewery, you're going to have a very successful tap room, you're going to have multiple states that you're selling your beer in. I think, you know, that's, that's lofty and really unachievable and, it would take quite a team to be able to pull that off. There's certainly people that can and have and not too distant memory, but for the average person, that's just not necessarily viable. And so I think focusing on what your core competency is and your core skill set, whether that if you're going to be a neighborhood brewery who's catering to the locals within you know, a couple miles, nail that down. Build up your local following and own that neighborhood, whether it's a, you know, a two-block radius or a ten-block radius or whether your clientele is sour-focused people that are coming from different areas of the city to come check you out, or whether you're a family-focused brewery and maybe you've got a playground up front. I don't know. I haven't seen anybody do that yet. It's an interesting business model. Own whatever you're going to do, and whatever you're going to do, and do it really, really well. And I think if you focus on that, and then once you find success there, um, to the extent it allows you to start to look at you know, other avenues of income and growing the business. But you can't come in and be everything to everybody. So if you're going to be the neighborhood brewery, do that. If you're going to be distribution focused, be that and, and own that and make sure you have the skill set and your business to scale accordingly. You know, and, and I'll say we've, I've seen this a lot actually in the brewing space where you have a, you know, partners, two or three guys who get together and start a brewery and they do it and they make great beer and they, and they create a great taproom environment. But they do kind of reach that point where they've been successful. And the question becomes what next? Yeah. And then you have, you know, some of the partners who are like, hey, I, I really like you know, be in the best neighborhood bar in this neighborhood. And other people are like, no, no, I want to distribute and really, and, you know, so I, I think that's really sage advice to, to think about, you know, who, who do you want to be and, and really focus on that yeah. rather than try to be all things to all people. Absolutely. And, and having that defined concept is key to when you start now. Uh, our, throughout our course, our biggest thing that we focus on is creating a business plan. As part of the business plan, you have to identify what is your concept or your value offer. When you're coming in, the, the ability to come in and start a brewery and make good beer is assumed. If you can't do that, there's, there's no real place for you. That's, that's kind of the ante into the poker yeah, game. Absolutely. If you want to get in the game, the beer, especially in Colorado, the beer needs to be good. Because yeah. if the beer isn't good, you, you won't last. Absolutely. There's too much competition. have to have a great product to, to be successful. But um, you also have to, like, what's the concept down to? Um, don't try to be the distribution of the taproom focus brewery right out of the gate. It's really, really difficult to do that. And for the average person, if you want to set yourself up for success, I think it behooves you to pick one side or the other. Um, but, you know, beyond that, like, find out what your clientele is, what you're trying to be. If you're trying to be the neighborhood brewery and all those different concepts we talked about, that's, that's great. You can identify those and own those concepts or own that experience for those people. Because um, people today are, when they go and they want to have a beverage, they're looking, you know, I think, as much of an ex- they're looking for an experience as much as they are for quality product. Again, I think a lot of people are making really good beer, so that hurdle or that um, that ante, as you put it so well, is, is there. Now I want to I want to drink it someplace cool, or I want to drink it out of a cool packaging, or I want to know why I'm drinking it, whether that be local or if it's for a cause or a, you know they're supporting things that align with my lifestyle, or you know it's it's an identity. I like that type of beer. I like that type of thing. So you got to have a reason and, and more a compelling experience for the consumer today because just having something that's good 
is um, is oftentimes not enough because there are a lot of people with really really good products out there. I, you know, I got to tell you, at some point when uh, we made it through this pandemic, um, I, I think we'll all appreciate the experience that you get sitting down at a brewery full of people in a way that uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we took for granted before it uh, it got so cruelly taken away from us out of the blue. I'll tell you, I'm missing my local bar. Something <laughs> about sitting at the bar talking to somebody is a, a very relaxing thing to do. So, uh, so we've been talking a little, uh, you know, the doom and gloom and some of the challenges. Obviously, they're challenges, but they can be overcome. I mean, what uh, what else have you noticed with the, you know, with the folks who are coming to this uh, program, participate in the class, uh, and also maybe, you know, what are what are some of the good news stories for people who really are passionate to to try to make it happen? Yeah, so I, one of the coolest pieces of this class is uh, you have to do an internship and you have to fill a minimum minimum number of hours in school. It's incredibly rewarding for me, and probably the main reason I do this is after you people have gone through the class and they've graduated and have a certificate, and go out to a brewery and sit down, belly up to the bar, and then, and then they turn around from pouring beer, and it's the person you talk, talk to in class. It's, it's incredibly cool to see that, and then you see them, you know, progressing through their um, career in the industry, and it's it's just really neat. We've had a couple people who have gone through it and now own breweries, so I've been doing this for. Um, Three years now, two two years now, two and a half, and so uh, none of my students have actually made it to that step. But the people before me have, owned, have actually you know owned breweries. Now, a couple of one of our distillers here at Laws, um, actually our barrel manager, he went through the, the process or the class, worked at a brewery, and then now is our barrel manager here. So it's kind of cool to see how people evolve through that. Um, yeah, there's, there's a million success stories. Any any of the breweries here in Denver, I bet you have interacted with some sort of student from one of these courses. There's a couple other ones in the state, but I think it's uh, it's incredibly rewarding to see people kind of come out of this. And it, you know, everybody to tell you right now, oh, you're going to start a brewery. Oh, good luck, great, right? You've heard that many a times. I'm sure you as lawyers see that every yes. day, but uh, it's still absolutely possible. I think that the level to entry is a little bit higher. Not a little bit, but a lot higher now. It's much more competitive. But there's still plenty of success stories happening every day. The next one's going to start tomorrow. Yeah, maybe not in this, but you know, figuratively. That is um, that is, that is great stuff. So so Peyton, if uh, if folks have heard this and decided, you know what, I've I've been wanting to do something like that, and this sounds like a great program. How would they reach out and get more information about this particular class? Yeah, so you can go online to uh, Regis University. I believe it's uh, regisuniversity.edu. I'll have to double check on that. It's not my, my day-to-day job. Find Regis yeah. University in Denver online. Yes. Yeah, you'll find it. Um, you can find the course through there, or uh, you can reach out to myself here at Laws. Um, or, you know, if, I think if you ask around in the industry, you certainly would find a couple other names there. But we're, we're easily findable with a quick internet search. And, um, yeah, come hang out with us, chat. It's fun. Courses on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., so it's a great excuse, if, if nothing else, to get up and, you know, we like to sample and do R&D first thing in the morning on a Saturday, so. <laughs> nothing nothing quite like the 9 a.m. R&D on, yeah. uh, on Saturday mornings. Well, that, Peyton, that is, that is great. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk on some of these things. I think it's great you're doing this and, uh, you know, really providing value for the next generation of folks who are going to be involved in craft brewing and craft distilling right here in Denver. We're, we're lucky to be where we are. There's a huge flowering of great people and great concepts and, um, you know, great beer and great, they're great spirits here. So thank you. It's fun. It's a good time. I'm sure. A lot of and, good people. All right. And thanks for, thanks for joining us, Peyton. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate you having us.